All right, good morning, Church on the Rock. All right, it's so good to see so many more people here. Welcome back home if you are watching at home. But I want to hear that again, okay? Can we, like, give some volumes to the people at home? Know actually how many people are here, all right? Good morning, Church on the Rock. Woo! All right, all right. We are coming back. It is good. I, uh, I'm going to be uh, jumping into a prayer to start us off today. Uh, but as I do that, I'm going to be praying for our kids' camp. Kids' camp is this next week, and we have our interns working way there. Nancy and Lillian and the group are, are doing this. They're doing 30 kids in the morning, 30 in the afternoon, 17 volunteers. We are just uh, trying to help so many children fall in love with Jesus afresh. So we need to pray for that. Just letting you know, this is the first of our series, and next week, actually this next week, I am off uh, doing a solo canoe, and when I'm off there, what I do is I ask God, what do you have for us next year, not only in messages, but for other things, and I do a lot of listening, a lot of prayer, so if you wouldn't mind praying for me, that would be great. And uh, because of that, we have uh, Mike Beecraft coming, a friend of Church on the Rock, to speak next week. So I'm going to pray for those things, and we'll jump into our message, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great and awesome and wonderful. I love you. Thank you so much for looking down and desiring an intimate relationship with each one of us. And so, Father, I, I pray for these kids at camp that those who have not yet stepped into that relationship will. And those that have will just fall in love with you more and more. And I pray for the good relationships between all those volunteers and all the kids so that they will know how amazing your local church is and how they are loved there. Lord, I pray for this next week that you would be already planning for us for this next year, God, and preparing us for what you have for us all as a group. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start off with a question. Here's the question. Do you have any heroes in your life? Do you have a hero in your life? Think about that. Uh, whether it be a small level hero or a large level hero, do you have any heroes in your life? I know I have about three or four that, uh, that are real, real people that uh, have uh, just uh, over the last about 50 years been on this planet. But I, I would suggest that a lot of us just don't have heroes anymore. As uh, this uh, one PBS uh, special talked about heroes, said this, a hero is, is who we all wish we were if we didn't have our own personal limitations. But the problem is because of so much information, we know everybody's limitations now. And so because we know everybody's limitations, we just don't hold up people as heroes anymore. We dismiss them because guess what? They're just like us. And sometimes I wonder if on the big screen, the superheroes have masks on is because we don't want to really know who they are because then we will know their limitation and they might not be heroes anymore. I have in my life, a couple biblical heroes. Uh, beyond my Jesus, like who, who else can we have as hero number one, right? Like just our Jesus. But there are a couple other heroes, and one of them is King David, King David. Now, this is more than just my namesake. Uh, there are uh, a lot of really cool reasons why David, just awesome. He's this Renaissance man. He is one of the best musicians ever. Just, uh, just imagine writing a song 
Okay, all you songwriters, write a song, and it's still being sung 3,500 years afterwards, right? How often does a song last on, on the radio, right? Maybe three months, maybe, and then it gets uh, into the oldies track. And then what? It, it's just we have such short time span. But the things that he wrote have continued on for thousands of years. He played music for the king. He was like this uh, musical Prozac for the king. He was so good at, as a musician. He was an amazing warrior. He did what Joshua did not. He did what Saul did not. He took an army and just cleared out the land and made this golden age for Israel. He just vanquished his enemies. Not only was he a great warrior, he was a great king and strategist. He, he somehow put these 12 tribes who were all kind of angry at each other for different things over different times, and he, and he melded them together. He moved the capital to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was sort of there almost in the middle of Judea and, uh, and, uh, and uh, all the other tribes of, of uh, Israel. He was just smart that way. He was this intelligent king. He was a great architect. He built and designed, or he designed one of the most awe-inspiring temples in the ancient world. He had to leave the plans to his son to actually build. He was like Bach, General Patton, Abraham Lincoln, Frank Lloyd Wright, all sort of wrapped up in one person. That is an amazing person. The thing is, that's not why he's my hero. Not at all. There's a lot of really great people out there. Could be argued he's a central character in the Old Testament. Abraham had 14 chapters written about him. Elijah 10, Moses 20. David had 66 chapters in the Bible written about him. That's kind of like a big deal. It, 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 Israeli flag right now has what? The star of who on it? And the middle is star of? Yeah, David. Yeah, because star of David on it, right? The most fought over city in all of the history of the world is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is known as the city of David, it's the city of David. Jesus the Messiah, he comes into the town and everybody is singing, there is the son of David. He's like kind of one of, if not the central Old Testament figure uh, in the Bible. And yet these are not why he's my hero. I think a lot of you don't like him. I get that. A lot of people don't like King David. Why? Because... <laughs> He's just this guy that slaughtered a lot of people. He just, it was not just like killed a few. No, a lot. He just killed a lot of people. He actually was very sneaky and had uh, committed adultery and murder sort of all in one. He was sometimes very moody and brooding. If anybody should be canceled from the Bible, it should be David. We shouldn't even know his name, right? All, all records of David should be expunged because of the evil things that he did. But why then, Dave? Why do you like him? Why is he one of your heroes? Here it is, here it is. God holds up his life as the standard for leaders and kings that come after him. God holds up his life as the standard. You need to be like David to the, all the leaders afterwards. Here are some of the, some of the verses. First uh, Kings 11.4, this is to Solomon. As Solomon grew old, it says, His heart was not fully devoted to the, to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David his father had been. It's like, Solomon, you did a great job, except I guess your heart was not fully devoted to God. And then Jeroboam after him, 1 Kings 14.8, uh, it says, you've not been like my servant David, who kept my commands. 
and fo- followed me with all his heart, doing what was right, doing only what was right in my eyes. And you say, hold on, hold on. David didn't do just what was right in God's eyes, but that, we're, we're going to tackle that in, in a, a few weeks, about how God, how much God forgives. We remember, and sometimes you feel like you carry stigmas for the rest of your life, but God, he forgives completely. 1 Kings uh, 15.3, he committed all the sins of his father done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his forefather, had been. And so to sum up the whole life of King David uh, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, we we have this this sort of a review of the Old Testament. And in the review of the Old Testament, in one of the speeches in Acts, it says, Acts 13.22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. And this is God saying this, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He has this heart that's focused, that's running, that's passionate after me. That is the person I will choose. And there's this wonderful verse that the eyes of the Lord grow to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for somebody whose heart is fully his. And then he said that, then God says, I'm going to fully support those whose hearts are fully pointed to God. I want that. Can I just be honest? I want the full support of God in that way. And so all of me just, I, I, I got to figure out, I got to figure out what is a heart after God because it's not really defined very well, is it? It's like uh, you, you've got this heart that's running after God, but what is it? But somehow in the life of God, as we tear it apart, there is going to be this anatomy that comes apart, that God, he didn't get a lot of things right. But God got, David got one thing right. David's heart was grabbed God's heart. And that, that is important. And so we're going to ask through this whole summer, what's the anatomy of a heart after God? How can we and our own brokenness, our own personal sin, our own junk that we have, how can we still be noticed by God saying, their heart's right after me. Their heart is running after me. Even in the midst of their stuff that they do, I know their heart is running after me. I want to know that. And so this is what we're going to dig into this whole time. So the first thing that we're going to look at, first thing we're going to look at is this thing, that David had a passionate faith in God. David had a passionate faith in God. We're going to look at one of the opening stories of King David. Um, not the one. We meet David as the youngest of a family. He's a shepherd. Uh, and, and as God is looking over the world for somebody, whose heart is fully his, he sees David already as a teenager. Isn't that wild? A teenager whose heart is fully after God. And what's going on with King David right now? He's a shepherd, so we can assume a few things. He's like out there worshiping in the fields. He's just like taking time. Why do we think he's worshiping? Not just because he wrote Psalm 23. It's because, because God was looking for somebody. There's somebody that, whose heart is after me. So as a teenager, his heart must have been after God. Not only that, but he trusted in God as he took on the wild animals. And so this young man, this teenager, God bless teenagers, that yes, that he, God himself, looked and saw his heart is running after him. And so David gets privately anointed as king as a teenager. And then here's the insults uh, to, to God. As he visits a battle scene, he's not even old enough to fight. And as he gets there, what happens? 
he sees Goliath. Yeah, we're doing the big story right out of the gate. <laughs> Goliath. Goliath dominated his brother's lives for 40 days. Goliath would come down and, and challenge anybody for uh, a mano a mano, just sort of one-on-one uh, you know, deal. Let's, let's do a cage match right here who only one person comes out alive, right? And no one had enough guts to do it. And so, so Goliath dominated his brother's lives for 40 days. The problem is God dominated David's life for years. And that's the difference. And so here we have it. A bunch of people cowering in fear and somebody having some faith. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, and this is King Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When, when a lion or a bear comes and carries off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. It wasn't that I just sat back and said, well, that's just one less sheep. No, that's not going to happen. Not on my watch. So he, I struck it and rescued the sheep from out of its mouth. That's one gutsy kid, right? I'm going to take this thing right from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now you get a little heart of David, right? This is not just the God of Israel. This is a living God. This is a live relationship he's had out in the hillside. This is a living God that David understands who God is. And the Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So okay, <laughs> like I don't want to go through another 40 days of this. This is like, it's, it, we're living in fear, we're living in depression, we're living in this, this sort of wet blanket that, that's always down on us. So he says, go, the Lord be with you. I'm going to fast forward how his brothers mock him. And that, by the way, that, that's part of the job description as a believer. If you're a believer, guess what, you're going to be mocked. Welcome. Oh, everybody, come be believers. <laughs> it is a part of the job description. You come and say yes to Jesus. It will not always be treated with great enthusiasm. Fast forward, Saul tries to give him his armor. Those weren't his gifts. I want to focus on one point. So David goes, and he's just got his, his shepherd's uh, clothes on, his sling, a pouch. So David runs down to the valley. As Harvey, Harvey showed me the valley where this uh, would, would have taken place uh, out in Israel, that basically, you know, when a stream runs through a valley, the stream is at the lowest point. And so basically David ran down to the lowest midway point and picked up five stones. Five stones are going to be important. We're going to mention and talk about this. It's mentioned in the story for a reason. So he picks up five stones, put it in his pocket, and then after that he starts, he starts trash-talking <laughs> Goliath, because Goliath was starting to trash talk him. He started to say, oh yeah, you won't send this little kid out. You can just see it, right? It's just before the big battle. You can see uh, two warriors sort of looking at each other. So this is what David says in 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin and an armor bearer and a and a big shield and lots of armor and you could go on. You're, you're coming after me with all kinds of stuff. But I come against you not with my sling, not even with my experience, 
But in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, God has a lot of names in the Old Testament. This is the battle God. This is, this is the God that wells up and changes things by his power. In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head, which is fascinating. You almost think this is a prophetic word. He al almost says, he gets this ahead of time. This, this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And he was right in that one. The whole world has found out about David and Goliath. All those gathered here will know that it's not by a sword or a spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. For the battle is the Lord's. Can we all say that phrase together? For the battle is the Lord. Here we go. One, two, three. For the battle is the Lord. All right, let's try it one more time because I know the people at home, you don't say things out loud because it's a little embarrassing. There's only about two or three of you there. I get that. Okay, so let's try it again so we can encourage those at home. All right, here the battle is the Lord's. One, two, three. For the battle is the Lord's. Battle is the Lord's. You see where his focus is. He will give you into my hand. And as Phil Stein moved closer, you can almost see the tank sort of moving down the hill. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. Wow. He fell face down on the ground. He was out cold. And as opposed, just I, I'm going to let you know if you've heard this as, you know, in, in Sunday school, I'm going to give you a little detail that they don't often tell you in Sunday school. He wasn't quite dead yet. All right? The stone just knocked him out. He had to take the sword out and hack his head off. So anyway, they, they don't tell you that stuff in children's ministry. Like, you know, like well, he, he was out cold, right? But he's just like hacking away and, and gets the head off. All right? So those are the details. Those are the details. So out of this, we can talk about David's heart. We can talk about his courage. We can talk about his passion for God. But the thing is, I want to, the thing I want to focus on, on is his faith. His, his faith. He just believed God was going to do this. And so I think this is a good time for us to try and understand what biblical faith is and, and what part of biblical faith did, did David have. And, and so we can appropriate some of that, that biblical faith for ourselves because I want to have a heart after God. And if a heart after God has biblical faith, then what is that all about? So first of all, let's talk about faith. Biblical faith is not a blind leap. A lot of times people talk about this, this sort of leap of faith. That was uh, sort of attributed to Soren Kierkegaard. He really didn't write it in the way that, it, that a lot of people say it. It's a lot of people out in the secular world will say, us Christians have just taken this leap of faith. It's sort of something beyond reason. You can stack up all the reasons, but you throw the reasons away. You turn your, your face aside, and you just take a blind leap of faith because... Um, just because you, you want to. I remember talking to somebody uh, in London, Ontario. I was going out there sharing my faith, sitting on a park bench. This one guy comes down. He says, what do you got? I had a Bible. And as we got talking, he said that I wish I could believe. I said, well, well why don't you? And then he says this, because I know too much. Wow. Like, it's like a little bit of arrogance there. I did not point that out. I was trying to win the guy. So I go, okay, you know too much. Yeah, I know too much. I can't take a blind leap of faith. 
It was this thing as, as if Christians have no reason for their faith. They're going, okay, we're just going to jump off this cliff because it's there. This thing is, that is not true. When, when the apostles went around preaching about Jesus, the Messiah, they didn't come up to say, you got to believe in the Messiah. Just believe Jesus. He's it. He's it. Why? Just because he is. You just got to believe me. Take a blind leap of faith. No, they, they went back to an, a, a time in history, a historic event. He died and rose again. He died and rose again. I saw him. I'm a witness. Guess what? He, he went to 500 people. They saw him at the same time. They always gave reasons why Jesus should be believed in. And so biblical faith, biblical faith has tied, is tied into reason. David's faith had reasons. He had reasons. God helped me with the bear. God helped me with the lion. Guess what? I've got good reasons when my Goliath comes that he, because he's helped me here, he's helped me here, he can help me here too. That they, there is actual reasons behind our faith. Well, Dave, what reasons do you have? I, I could say this again and again. I've, I've, it's really clear to me, and sometimes when, when I have some doubt, I have to almost like go back. I know for certain there is a God. Just even for many reasons, just for one of them, because of creation. You know all the rain we've been having all this last time? Isn't it amazing that water just happens to have the perfect evaporation rate, that it, goes, it, it evaporates? Isn't it just so amazing that the world is covered with so much water? That we have just enough water to go evaporate. And if it gets just the right height, it cools down just the right amount so it rains down so we can have fresh water to drink and everybody. Could you imagine, like, there's so many more elements that don't do that. Alcohol, it, it evaporates really quickly and it, and it doesn't condense in a, in a temperature that, that would, on earth. Could you imagine if it did? It would rain alcohol. Some would like that. That would be bad because we need water, right? We need water. And so to live, our earth is just so perfect in every way. Every, every so often I'll just see something else. I go, God, you made a perfect creation. I believe and I have reasons why there's a God. I have reasons why Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's man because he died and rose again. His disciples went and saw it and went to their death saying that he has risen again. I have good reason to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then after that, he's confirmed it again by answers to prayer and taps on the shoulder. Biblical faith is tied to reasons. So biblical faith is not just a blind leap. Biblical faith isn't also absolute certainty. Absolute certainty. Some people try and emotionally work themselves up to have this uh, absolute certainty. And they'll tell me things. Well, well, Dave, you just have to have faith like a child. Just believe. Just believe. No questions asked. You just have to sort of go, okay, I know, I know, I know. And if, and if you feel enough that you know, then you know. But biblical faith is not absolute certainty. Faith is confidence about things unseen. That's the definition of, in Hebrews 11. But the question is how confident? How confident? Guess what? That faith is not a switch that you turn on and off. It's a dial. Guess what? You can, have, you can have a faith of a mustard seed level. That's a low level, okay? That there's levels to this. There, there isn't just faith on, faith off. It's, it's like you can have a faith of a mustard seed level, and God will still see that and count that and move in that. And so, yes. There are times when God says you need to have faith. When Jesus was on this earth, he, he said, do you want to be healed? Take up your mat and walk. Okay, what, what did they have to do? They had to actually try 
to stand up, right? That was an act of faith, to try and stand up. Uh, reach out your hand, it will be healed. It's not healed yet. Well, reach it out. I, I want you to heal it when it's no. You have to have faith to actually try and reach it out, right? I'm going to take some action to actually do this, even though it was small action. Uh, you need to build an ark, uh, Noah. You need to leave your country, Abraham, man of faith. Abraham is called the man of faith. Guess what? He didn't even get his faith thing right. He was asked to leave Ur and his family. Guess what he did? He left Ur. Check. He took his family. Bad. <laughs> it's like, and he pays for this later on, right? But guess what? God calls him a man of faith, right? Why? Because he had perfect faith? No, he had enough faith to move. He had enough faith to move. Faith has enough confidence to ask. I have enough confidence in God that I'm going to actually take a step of faith. Mark 9, 24, there's, there's, there's a father who has a demon-possessed child, and, and, and in the middle of it, he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, he says, my faith, you know, the, the dial is not over on 100% right now. I think you can do it. I hope you can do it. I really hope you can do it. And, and Jesus says, do you think I can do it? Yeah, yeah, I hope, uh, please help my unbelief. Okay, he's not at 100% yet, is he? Yet Jesus goes and heals his son. Why did David take five stones? There, there, uh, there is no reason in the Bible. We can only guess. I have a friend that thinks that he was getting, getting ready for Goliath's four brothers. Goliath had four brothers. And I thought, that, that was, that's a pretty fun idea. But we don't hear anything about uh, Goliath's four brothers. This is just my idea. You know why? You know why I took five stones? Because he wasn't stupid. <laughs> if I mess with one, I'm going to use the next one. <laughs> right? <laughs> Instead of 100% faith that the first one's going to hit. So I'm only going to take one because that's my step of faith. No. Be smart. Take five, David. <laughs> Oops. All right. God, get this one in this next time. Right? I, I, we don't have to have this work ourselves up to 100% faith. I love. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love their kind of faith. They were told to bow down to Golden Isle. They did not. And so, so they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And so they said, listen, I know that my God can save me. I know that he can. And then they add this little thing. It says, but if he doesn't, we'll still serve God. And some people say, well, that's not perfect faith. Yeah, it is. It's faith enough to act. You didn't bow down. That's like pretty good. Okay, that, that's awesome. <laughs> you didn't bow down. And so that's faith enough to actually take that step of faith. And guess what? They didn't have faith for the situation, but ultimately for God himself. You know the whole idea about childlike faith? Childlike faith, you just believe. Childlike faith, just believe. You know, I hate to say this, all right? You, you go home and check it out. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It really isn't. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I looked up the two times it was actually used in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, book of Mark. In the book of Matthew, it actually explains it. It's a metaphor, right? Our faith is supposed to be like a child. No, no, not faith, sorry. We're supposed to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God. That's what it says. But whoever wants to enter the kingdom of God must become like a child. And then the book of Matthew says you must become, because they're lowly, because they're humble, because they're least. Because in their culture, they didn't treat children with any respect. And so it's not through your respect, it's not through your work, but through your humility of being like a child. A child is just humble. And it doesn't actually use the word faith anywhere in there. So hold, hold on. So, so Dave, is it okay 
to doubt? Are you saying, if I'm not 100%, is it okay to doubt? See, in the Bible, doubting is not the goal, okay? Doubting is never the goal. I doubt more. <laughs> I can't find that in the Bible. I want you to doubt more. In fact, the book of James says we should be asking without doubting. Uh, uh, Hebrews eleven six says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want to please God, so that takes faith. God, uh, why? Because, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. It takes belief. And that it rewards those who earnestly seek him. There are some kinds of churches out there now, some kinds of churches that seem to have doubt as a badge of honor. They say, oh yeah, I'm doubt. I heard one pastor say, yeah, I'm a hopeful agnostic, as if that's a good thing. I kind of doubt everything. And so I must be intellectually superior. It's a, it's a badge of being intellectually superior than anyone else if you doubt. That's just enlightenment thinking. That's all from Descartes who doubted everything. You, you, too much to get into now. But the whole idea, that is just about this desire to be intellectual, to, to, to use doubt as a badge of honor. So doubting is not the goal. But doubting's not terminal. If you don't have it to 100% that whatever it is, that's okay. God's going to help you. It's actually something you need to work through. How do you know, Dave? There's this interesting verse in the book of Jude. Jude chapter 1, verse 22. In fact, Jude chapter 1 is, is all it. So it's just Jude 22, not because it has 22 chapters. And, and this is in this recipe list of, of how to help people in the local church. So pastors will read through these lists and say, okay, what, what do I do? What do I do? And it says this. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Don't judge them. Don't say that they need to work it out to 100%. If somebody's doubting, just be merciful to them because they're working something out. Give them space to work some of these things out because there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief. As I, I was reading in uh, this, uh, this one, one book of, uh, of, <clears throat> of, of where the church is going, unbelief is a decision of the will, the author says. Undecision, uh, unbelief is a decision of the will. But doubt tends to bubble up within the context of faith. In other words, as you're working your faith out, there'll be moments of doubt. We all have them. You haven't lost your faith. Unbelief is eternally, eternally dangerous. And so you don't make a decision, I'm stepping out because I don't like the church, because I don't like what Christians believe. So I'm going to take a step out. That's eternally dangerous. Don't do that. That is a decision of unbelief. But as you doubt, as you try to figure out faith, that is something that we're supposed to be merciful to as we work this stuff out. As an uh, as uh, author said this, I, I liked how she put it. She said that she loved roller coasters as a young person. Like, whoa, get me on a roller coaster. Canada's Wonderland is opening up. I hear it is. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, go and sign up. And whoa, every roller coaster, I'm not sure gonna, they're going to, how they're going to socially distance that one. Anyway, so as, as they're going around, she said, as a kid, loved roller coasters. As an adult, all of a sudden, what happens, adults? Besides the stomach issues, all right? Besides the vertigo. Okay. What happens? You start to hear, no. <laughs> you start to hear about there was a roller coaster that had an accident or, or a car got stuck at the, you, you start to hear things, don't you? You start to hear things. You know what a mature faith is? You hear things, you still get on the roller coaster, right? You go, 
I'm still going on. Because I believe this is good. It's not like, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. It's like, okay, I know you got some problems. I know that we, I know we have problems. I'm still getting on that roller coaster. Because that's what God asked me to do. Doubt is actually a byproduct of an act of faith. Of an act of faith. So now I've told you what it's not. It's not a blind leap. It's not, it's not absolute certainty. Biblical faith is tied to reason. Faith has enough confidence to ask, act. So what is faith like? Faith is much more like trust with action. Trust. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you enough that I'm going to act. God, I love you. I believe that you're there. I have good reasons. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of my sin. So now I'm going to trust you with my life. And I'm going to act on that. And I'm going to pray and receive you. I'm going to actually take that step to commit my life to you. That's an action I'm going to take because I believe you've given me good reasons. Do I have little bits of doubt? Yeah. Okay. But you know what? I'm getting on the roller coaster because that is where I believe you want me to be and you are God. And I want to experience the adventure of life. I want to experience that adventure of life. So what does that mean to us? those of us who are believers. I want you to experience the adventure of living a living relationship with Jesus. And that takes a heart after God. What does a heart after God look like? What's the anatomy of a heart after God? What's one piece of it? One piece of it is faith. So, so Dave, how, how do I let my faith grow? I think it's layers of trusting him time after time. You trust him, and you trust him again. You just trust him, and you trust him again. Sometimes that'll be a bumpy one, but then you trust him again. I remember uh, to, to get myself through university, I worked as a, as a painter. Yes. <laughs> I remember I, uh, I painted, uh, painted condominiums for, uh, for a painter. And I also painted industrial paint uh, for a, uh, um, they did restaurants. We did fluffy restaurants. They all went out of business. Okay, so <laughs> this is a bad paint job, I'm sure. But I remember being at Fluffy's restaurant, and, and this guy, he, he was just working on this bar top, this bar, and it looked amazing. This bar top had this, like, about that thick of this gloss on it, and it was just gorgeous. I, I go, do you like buy it? Like he says, no, this is my work of art. I said, how do you do it? He says, well, I put a coat of lacquer on it and let it dry. And I sand it down so it's all smooth. And the next day I, I, I put on another coat of lacquer and I let it dry. I go, really? How many coats does that thing have? He says, 60 coats. I said, is it gorgeous? He said, Yeah. Not a lot of people know that it takes 60 coats to make something beautiful. <laughs> Some of us want to have an all-in faith. You know what it takes? Layer of trusting God, layer of trusting God. Layer of trusting God, trusting God for yourself, trusting God for other people.
I just, even today, as I was going around saying hi to various people, I got a little prayer request going on in my head. I've been praying all morning for somebody who just feels overwhelmed. I've I've been praying for somebody, a, a, a parent who just needs to have peace. And I just keep on praying. I just keep on praying. I just add another layer to my bar table because what's going to happen? They're going to come back next week and say, thank you so much, Dave, for praying for me because you know what? That sense of overwhelmness just sort of left me. It was good. You know what? We've had the most peaceful, peaceful week at all with my kids. You know what? There's somebody else who's going to come back and say, well, yeah, it's real, really bad. <laughs> I can, okay, I, okay, I'm going to sand that one down a bit more. I'm going I'm to just add another coat to that. I just need to trust. God. Trust God. Faith grows out of experiences with God, just like David had the, the lion. David had the bear. Faith is, is, is to trust God enough to risk action. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. For me to gain a heart after God, I need my faith to grow layer by layer in trusting him. So what I want us all to do as a church, to grow your faith through trusting in little ways every single day. God, God, help me find my keys. Why do I lose that every single time? Amen. Has anybody had God help you find your keys? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Uh, those are the, <laughs> you don't, you actually put them in the right place. All right. So. So, not only that, can you help me get up on time? Can you help me just get rid of this headache? Can, God, can, I want to pray for my child to eat their meals. I want to pray for my roommate to give me some space. Please, God, let them give me some space. All these things we just need to trust in, in layers of layers of layers. It reminded me of a song. It reminded me of an old song. I don't think anybody will know it here. It was uh, back in the day by a group called Lost Dogs. And uh, I'm actually asked Ryan to see if he, he could find it so we can play it on the way up. I'm just going to read to you the, the first, first little verses of the songs. It goes like this. Pray where you are, in the submarines, in the tanks, in the SNLs and banks, in the cancer wars and prisons and the bars, on the earth, on the moon, in the closet in your room, on the flop houses and the think tanks and the farms, to the salesmen forever trying to sell, to the faithful daughter walking to the well. Pray where you are, in the fields and the factories. There's no limits, no rules, no boundaries. At work or school or driving in your car, just pray where you are. <laughs> and as you trust God, Layer by layer, what's going to happen? Some will be answered, some won't, but you just keep on asking. You learn, though, that you trust. The more that you trust, the more you start to see that God is alive and at work everywhere. And you go, okay, I think I can trust God for more. When a Goliath comes in your life, you might be prepared to believe God for things that you never thought that you could. So I want you all to grow your faith through trusting. We're going to take some quiet time to to pray that, but we're going to actually take some time in the service to do that too. We have this active way of worshiping. It says, pray for my heart. And, and as we worship over the next three songs, I give you an opportunity to go and take one of the hearts and just say, pray for my heart. It is overwhelmed. It is, and if you want, you sign your name. If you don't want, you don't have to sign your name. Just put down, pray for my heart. It is, and then just describe your heart. Take a, take a, a clip and, and clip it to one of the, the lines there. And when you're up there, guess what? You clip one on, then you pray for someone else's heart. Those who are prayers, those who are prayers, those, those, those of you who have that, that, that gift of intercession, just go over there and just pray for people's hearts. Guess what's going to happen? I, am, I believe that as we just share 
this, could you pray for me? And we pray. Guess what? Layers of trust are going to be coming up, and, and they'll be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, because there's a community of prayer here. And plus, it's just going to grow your faith through trusting in him. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. We're going to lead as they lead in worship. I just want to give you, uh, those of you who are new at Church on the Rock, during the last three or four songs that we do, we have communion tables around here. And if you want, if the Lord lays it on your heart, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to go and take a communion cup. And you can bring it back to your seat. And as we worship, reflect on his death and resurrection for you as you worship him in taking communion. So let's pray and let's worship him. Heavenly Father, I want to be that heart that you look to and fro across the earth and say, okay, hold on, there's a heart that's fully devoted to me. I, I, want, to, I, I, I want to support that heart. I want to be that person, God. I want every person in this church to be this person. I want the people at home to be these people. So God, I, I pray that you'll grow our faith just through trusting you every single day. Grow our faith layer by layer, God, as we trust in you. And God, we'll be able to look back at the end of the summer and go, God, you have grown my faith in so many ways. And I can understand now what a heart after you is. Please do that work in ours in Jesus' name. Amen.